Blog Talk Radio. Wake Forest game, and I was also announcing to the crowd that I, um, 
I'm recording on the road, so hopefully the sound quality is uh, decent this this week. I'm actually driving and recording at the same time, so I don't have stats in front of me. So if I if I'm kind of hedging some uh, numbers here, don't don't tweet at me and say AJ, you're an idiot, because I'm just doing the best I can today. So, anyways, back to the Wake Forest game. Kind of recapping, you know, there was those self-inflicted injuries on special teams that led to, in the end, 15 points uh, left off the board or causing, you know, a swing at 15 points there. Um, but then it, 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 you know, it happened again. Anthony Brown was definitely the star of the game, throwing for five touchdown passes, and you know, uh, after a first half where you know BC was you know, struggling to move the ball. Uh, a lot of three and outs. Eric, you'll talk a little bit more about it later. They had 11 straight uh, drives that started with a run play on first down. Um, but then in the second half happened, and it was a whole different ball game where BC was playing that play action pass. He, Anthony Brown was having wide receivers um, hitting them wide open, some of them making some nice catches themselves. It was a totally different game. So we're going to argue a little bit about this, Eric. Let's talk about that first half of football. Do you think that was by design? I think Daz was doing that by design, kind of lulling them in with A.J. Dillon. But you think it was more of the same for Adazio, that that was his kind of his safety zone, his turtling. What do you – let's talk about that. Go ahead. I mean, I thought thought they were playing it very conservative on the road – um, I, I guess I guess where we really differ is uh, is, is was that was that necessary to do it eleven times? Like I, I I watch football. I understand that to set up some play action later in the game, you got to run on first down and and give them the look that you're pretty committed to running running on early downs. I get all that. I guess I guess the thing that worries me is if they go up against. Clemson or Virginia Tech, and they're going to run it 11 straight times in the first half to set up play action in the second half. It's not it's not going to work um, because they're going to, they're going to have so many wasted drives in the first half. They're going to be blowing opportunities to get points on the board. I think I think my thing was uh, you know I don't see I don't see any harm and if you want to run it fine, run it four or five straight times, but then mix in a pass. Run it two or three times, then mix in a pass. And I just thought, I just thought the 11 straight times was a little bit of overkill, and I think that's where we differ because uh, personally, I don't see, I don't see them that kind of plan changing against Clemson. I think it's much of what we've seen here in the past, but I think you and some other BC fans I read comments seem to think that uh, when BC plays a Clemson or Virginia Tech, they're not going to be so conservative running it 11 straight times. And uh, I think that's where we differ right there. Yeah, uh, well, if we're going to talk about Clemson, I was actually – I was talking to Dan Rubin about this the other day. He, he He's on the mindset uh, side of when, when you play a team like Clemson, you got to run the ball. And I, I, I guess I disagree with, with that. I, I You know, if you look at a team like Clemson, their strength is up front. you got that – insane defensive line, those four All-Americans they got up front. you got to get the ball out. You can't, if you're going to run A.J. Dillon against them, I mean, we do have a good offensive line, and we got some studs up there. I, As good as our offensive line is, I don't know how the hell they're going to stop, you know, those, those four. Um, but against, you know, a team like Wake Forest, 
I, I felt like that was something they could do. They could run the ball. They could they could keep trying to see if they you know that's been the thing with Daz and Dillon, and AJ Dillon is for a while it's been like you know try to keep pushing because eventually he's gonna break one out. Um, and I hope that you know games like this is something that Leffler is gonna look at, Daz is gonna look at, and go holy shit you know we got lightning in the bottle here. Teams are are starting to really um, you know cheat up on AJ Dillon. And Anthony Brown can thread these in and make and we got wide receivers that can finally catch the ball. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, between me and you, the differences are what we think is Daz avail is he gonna change? Is he gonna be the guy that's gonna continue to make adjustments, or is he gonna continue to make the same plays over and over again? So I, I don't know. Do you think he's gonna go back to running it again? Like, like Purdue, let's not talk about that for now because I feel like running it against Purdue probably makes a lot of sense because they have no, no defensive line. Uh, but like, you know, when we get to the meat of the ACC schedule, Virginia tech, Syracuse, um, wait for, not wait for, sorry. Um, Clemson, those types of games. Do you think it makes sense to, to continue running? Or, I mean, do you think it makes sense for dads or do you think it'll actually change? I, I don't, I don't have faith that um, he's, he's going to change and, and all of a sudden get aggressive. Look, Daz Daz against lesser opponents has come out of his shell at times and kind of done stuff. When when he's playing the bully role, he has no problem throwing the ball around and really sticking it to that other team. I think, and and his record shows that Daz for for all the uh, uh, WTF losses that Tom O'Brien had here, like he'd have one each year. It, it seemed like like. Daz really doesn't do that. He his record. I could sit here for five minutes and give you all the different records against that Daz when he's a double-digit favorite, when he's a single-digit favorite. Like he usually creams teams that he should beat. And I, I think for myself, my issue is that when he faces stiffer competition, he gets ultra conservative, and that's just not the way to beat teams like Clemson and on, on, on their on years, Florida State, um, and teams like that. So that's, that's where my biggest issue with the Dazio is. So let, once again, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt this year when, when they play Clemson and Virginia Tech. But, you know, you, you, you used a phrase a minute ago, lightning in a bottle. Man, Daz caught it this year because he has kind of a team aligned just as he likes. And I got to tell you, I, I've watched some of the other ACC teams, and I think this is one of the weakest ACC top to bottom that we've seen in a long time. Like, there's not a lot of top-heavy teams in the ACC. BC's probably one of the top three teams in the whole conference. So, Daz has, and, and he gets Clemson at home. So, Daz has everything working for him this year. So, here's a chance to go out and do it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, a lot of times, you know, for the last, like, 10 years, you hear BC fans talking about what the ceiling of this program is. And what they keep saying is they keep looking back at 2007 and 2008 with Jags here. They're like, oh, yeah, those were down years for Clemson and Florida State. That's why we, we did what we did. This is a year that we're finally almost back to where those schools were. Clemson obviously is in a league of their own. But if you look at the upland, you know, they could be the Virginia Techs of the 2007-2008. They'll fight a step above that. But other than that, BC has the, the horses that they should be able to compete with every team out there. I mean, look at, look at the rest of the schedule now. 
you know, they kept talking about the meat of the BC schedule and what, you know, the grind of what they're going to hit. Miami does not look like the team that they did when, when the schedule first came out. They're a team, you get them on Friday night now, you can beat them. I think, you know, you know, Daz has shown, you know, on, on the, on the um, Red Bandana games that, they, that he gets the team up for that. Um, and, and Miami might be one of those prime games where, you know, he might buck the system, at, you know, against a team that is ranked or a team that's better and beat them. That could happen. Florida State's a, a freaking dumpster fire right now. They got offensive linemen that are going to get DeAndre Francois killed. And they're, we're playing them on the road, which at that point probably won't even matter unless they get their act together. Because if, if they continue to struggle, fans are going to start booing that team. They're a mess. You know, honestly, if you're going to look at the next toughest game other than Miami and Clemson and Virginia Tech, I honestly look at it and think of Syracuse. Syracuse looks like a team that could give BC some trouble. You know, what we saw against Wake Forest was BC struggled against that tempo offense. That's exactly what Syracuse does, and they have a quarterback that's way better than what Wake Forest threw out there. Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think there's that big of a argument that uh, that Clemson is probably the thir- I'm sorry, Clemson Syracuse is the third or fourth toughest team on their schedule, and uh, I gotta say that, and this might lead us to talk about this weekend a little bit, but I gotta say. Uh, this game against Purdue is honestly in the upper half of one of the tougher games um, left on the schedule this year from what, you know, they have that 0-3 record, but all the stats and games that I've watched them, this is not this is not a bad Purdue team. So I, I would say that BC fans uh, should be weary of the game this weekend. Yeah, we'll get to Purdue in a little bit. I still want to uh, pick apart a little bit of the Wake Forest game. Uh, I talked about it a little bit, but let's talk about special teams. I mean, if there's anything, you know, if you're going to look at the Achilles heels of of, of a Steve Adazio program, you know, to obviously the top, you know, top of the program, the top issue is going to be, you know, aggressive play calling on offense. That seems to have been a problem. You never, I mean, you see flashes of it now here and there, but it's still a worry long-term, and it's been a problem in the years past. But we're on to year six now, and again, we're seeing a team that is a mess on on special teams. You know, against Holy Cross, you know, you could chalk that up to, um, you know, them plugging and playing a whole bunch of kids. But we saw it again with three special teams mistakes against Wake Forest that led to, what, I think, what was it, 15 points? Yes. And um, that's going to be a concern, you know. Uh, you know, I don't want to make excuses because you know that's not, uh, you know, not my thing. But is this going to be an issue all year long again? Do you see more special teams costing us games and and, and being a problem? And why hasn't Adazio been able to figure out how to put down an extra point and kick a punt? Yeah, I think that's what concerned me from the game. Um, but really, the block punt was what bothered me the most. I mean, to me, a lot of that is coaching. Even even if a guy blows his assignment, you know, you're the one that put him out there. So, you know, you had to feel he was one of the best guys that, that could handle that duty um, and be on the 
the punt team. Um, Mike, Michael Walker's muff was unfortunate, but I mean that that guy has been pretty sure-handed receiving uh, punts, kickoffs. Like it's tough for me to lay blame for Daz on that one. I mean he's he's got a, a sure-handed guy in position as his return man. I mean I can't put that on him, but really the 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 punt blocks are are starting to worry me. I mean, they they really got away with it, obviously against Wake Forest. But you give you give Clemson, Virginia Tech a, a freebie on special teams like that, you're not going to beat them. I mean, it's as simple as that. You cannot get away with mistakes like that against above average teams. And Wake is not an above average team, so BC got away with it. But I I, I have concerns about it going forward, and I don't I don't see how you can't. Um, I, I assume you feel similar on that. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, the extra point misses, uh, you know, it's become comical at this point. And Tessator, you know, I, I didn't even expect him to play this year, but, it's not, you know, he seems to be out there. I, we, I don't think we've ever – I'd have to look at the stats, and, again, I'm driving, so I don't have it in front of me, but I, I don't think BC's tried a field goal all year. So I don't even know if, what this Tessator kid can do if, if Lichtenberg is out again this week. Um, but yeah, it's it's always a concern. And um, a, a Clemson writer tweet, uh, you know, chirped at me like, "Oh, you know, when BC plays Clemson, I can't wait for our defensive line to get in on special teams and go hog wild on on, on punt returns." I'm like, "Oh, it's a good point." <laughs> and it's definitely something that you think about when you have Christian Wilkins flying that through the middle if they can't figure that out. Now let's look at the positive ends of things. I, I want to talk about the passing game because, you know, once it came – again, we used the dad's term. It came together and it was beautiful. That second half, there was – I mean, that, that play action, play calling was smooth as butter. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Anthony Brown, I mean, he looked real good out there. Was that, was that more of a product of a play calling? Or do you, are you starting to see glimpses of him being, you know, a true ACC quarterback? I mean, the, the the play calling was working, but um, and I I wrote about it a little bit in the thumbs up thumbs down column. Some of the throws he was making were elite college quarterback throws. I mean, he was throwing guys open, which I mean, eighty percent of the co- quarterbacks in college can't even do. Uh, he, he that touchdown to Tommy Sweeney. He put it where the defender couldn't get to it. Same with the one to Kobe White. Same to the one with Ben Glimes. Now. The receivers had to go up and make a pretty decent play on all of them, um, but he threw he threw some of those guys open and he threw all of them to a spot where it was most ideal for the receiver to come down with the ball. So those touchdown throws were as impressive of throws of, as I've seen from Brown since he's been at BC. Um, it, watching him do that, it kind of went. You know, my opinion of him was, yeah, he's a pretty good quarterback. I think he can mostly get the job done to, all right, this is a guy who, who if BC needs to come from behind by 14 points against another team, this guy can get the job done. And I don't think I thought that was the case heading into this season, but I, I, I now feel comfortable. They have a quarterback um, that can lead them from behind and, and, uh, and, have, and if need be, a guy that can throw it 40 times a game if they need it now with Dylan, I don't. I don't think you need that a whole lot. But if the situation calls for it, I, I have no doubt Brown can get the get the job done. Um, 
tell me about your take, kind of what you thought of the Brown coming into the season and, and what you've seen from him so far. Has your opinion changed at all, a lot, a little bit? Tell me about that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what you kind of touched upon it. I think the big issue that I thought about with Brown last year was, you know, they were, you know, they had plays last year where it seemed like receivers and tight ends were open and he'd overthrow them, underthrow them. He was not as, you know, he didn't have the touch that he has this year. And I think that seems like the big change with Brown. Um, I also wonder too, as well, you know, right before his injury, they were rolling him out more and having him run and taking unnecessary hits and all that kind of stuff. And making him more of a mobile quarterback. Um, now he just, he seems like more of a pocket passing, staying in the pocket or he's rolling out and staying, you know, and, and looking down the field. Um, I, I kind of like that because it, it, it kind of tunes into his, his, his strength. You know, he's a quick quarterback if he had to run, but again, as you saw last year, if you hit, get hit, you can lose him for the year. Now that he stays back more, He's going through his progressions, and he's taking his time and making throws that he knows he can do, and I think that's big. I think his confidence continues to increase. He seems really confident out there right now, like a leader, and it's really impressive to see what he's doing. Now, just kind of change topics a little bit to continue what we're saying with, uh, you know, talking about the passing game. I think the other thing that needs to be brought up is not only has Brown improved, but, you know, a hallmark, you, if you were to talk about the BC passing game in the fa- five years of Adazio before this, you talk about the drops. I mean, it was like every game you'd have, you know, this guy dropped a pass, this guy dropped a pass, and it was like always in big spots. I, I don't feel like, the other than A.J. Dillon dropping that wide-open pass against UMass in the first game, I don't think we've seen many drops by these wideouts. They seem, you know, Kobe White and Ben Glines and, and Tommy Sweeney and you know, all these other guys that they got going out there, their hand, you know, their, the hands on these guys have greatly improved in the last year. Oh, Jeff Smith, that's another one. He's, he's looked real good. What do you think about the wideouts and tight ends so far? Yeah, I think you made some good points. There hasn't been a lot of drops, and um, kind of what I touched on with Anthony Brown's throws, like I said, he, he, he was throwing guys open and, on all of them, the receivers at least had to make a little bit of a play. He, he made a great pass, but um, these weren't always wide-open guys, and they had to go up and make a play too, and they're doing it. And Yeah, it feels like we haven't seen like that third down and seven where they hit the guy over the middle and he just drops the ball and they have to punt. Like You'd see that all the time, not even with Daz, but with Daz's teams and even Jags. Like You'd, you'd see that stuff, and, man, they have – the receivers have been clicking on all cylinders to start this year. Like you got to give the receivers an A for their performance so far. Really, really awesome job. So let's move on. The second part of our conversation today is going to be about the upcoming Purdue game. So BC is heading out to Indiana to play Purdue at noon on Saturday. It's a, I believe I last saw the spread is down to ooh, was it seven. I thought I saw. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, Purdue is it? you know, you mentioned it at, when we were talking a little bit about BC's future opponents. They're a team that the record does not accurately reflect the type of team that we're going to face. They have losses against, um, again, I don't have it in front of me. It's Northwestern, Temple, and not Temple. Who did they lose to? Um, they lost to Mizzou last weekend, um, who is a, a really solid team out of the SEC. Yep. 
Yep. Um, I, you know, I think, I think that their second loss is escaping me. I, I think it was one they, a, a team they should have beat, but uh, nonetheless, Northwestern and Mizzou, it, you'd be tough to find a lot of teams that have played, you know, two good teams like that out of their first three to start the year like that. Yeah, and you know Jeff Brom is a, he's going to bring an offense. He, you know, he if, if you haven't followed uh, Big Ten football, Jeff Brom came to uh, a Purdue program that Daryl Hazell pretty much drove into the ground. <laughs> Hazell, if what? you remember, if you remember him, he was a guy that a lot of BC fans wanted when we hired Daz. That's right. Um, and, you know, Brom brings a high-powered offense. He's got a system. He was at Western Kentucky before he came to Purdue, um, and he had a lot of success. I mean, he had that kind of Steve Adazio success from 2012 to 2013, where he took a program, I think there were 2-10 and 10 before he got there, and made them a bowl-eligible team last year. Um, and last year, Purdue was a team that was actually – led by their defense. It was interesting. They're a team, you know, with, with Jeff Brom, you know, leading, he's a quarterback heavy, heavy uh, coach that, you know, coaches them up and provides a system that does that. But it was actually the defense. that was really good this year. I think that the, the, the hope and, and the goal is for them to have their offense be more productive. And we saw that last week with Purdue. I, I mean, at Mizzou, I think they put up 40 points again, uh, 35, 40 points against a good Mizzou team. Yeah, they did. And, um, you know, they, they threw for 572 yards, uh, against Mizzou, um, against Northwestern earlier in the year. Um, they almost hit 300. Um, it's interesting. The, the second team I did check that they lost to was Eastern Michigan and, uh, which at first glance you'd probably laugh about, but Eastern Michigan actually played uh, Buffalo tough last weekend, and Buffalo is uh, one of the best teams out of the Mid-American Conference. So, you know, Eastern Michigan, not a terrible team, but still they should have won the game. But an interesting thing from Purdue's three games, they actually outgain all three of their opponents in yardage. Um, which is almost unheard of to do that in three games and be 0-3. Um, just some really bad luck. Uh, and kind of, kind of a common theme, um, at least against Northwestern um, and against Mizzou last weekend, is uh, Purdue kind of let themselves get, get behind before the half, uh, and they had to play catch-up in the second half, which they did. Um, so... That'll be something to watch out for for BC because uh, Purdue, Purdue has been playing pretty strong in the second half of games this year. So um, it's not going to be one where BC can kind of wait till the second half to wake up here. I mean, they're going to have to be ready to go out of the gates, and uh, it's it's not a great situation for BC. I got to say, I, I mentioned last week that BC fans should probably be rooting for Purdue against Mizzou because you did not want to see an 0-3 Purdue team, and that's what they got. They got a team that's in desperation mode right now for a win, and uh, you got a BC team feeling really good about being ranked for the first time in 10 years, so it's not setting up for a uh, great situation. I, I think my one saving grace is, like I said, if you, if, if you can give Adazio credit for anything, it's that he really has his team f- prepared typically for teams that they should beat. So it, it would be rare for, for BC to just kind of 
throw up all, all over themselves and, and lose to Purdue because Purdue, Purdue is a team that, that's beatable. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think this is, this is a game that BC fans have to take seriously. It's a, a team, and I, you know, I hope Adazio has them ready. You know, this is the second game, the 10-day ten uh, wait for them, so they have a little off time. I honestly don't think that's that big of a deal. I was actually talking to um, our Purdue blog in the SB Nation world, uh, Hammer and Rails, and they asked me about that. And I was like, you know, they were gassed against Wake Forest. And that's another piece I want to touch upon before we go. Um, they, you know, Wake Forest ran 105 plays on them. And as they kept talking about on the, on the radio, I mean, on TV, that was totally true. BC's defense hadn't had a chance to really play more than, what, two quarters of a game? Because they, you know, they were getting pulled against Holy Cross and they had already torched UMass. I mean, when they got, it, got in against a team that could move the ball and was, you know, not allowing substitutions, you know, they, they ran into some trouble there. I worry against a team like Purdue that runs, I, I'm pretty sure, a pretty similar high-paced offense that if BC's not, you know, if they're not, you know, conditioned to play that, that you know, Purdue's going to move the ball again, and their fans are hungry for a win, as you said. So that's just something I was going to be looking for is how the defense really handles that. But, you know, my last thought, and we've got to wrap it up because we're almost out of time, you know, I think the big my, – my big key to the game is I just don't see Purdue's defensive line stopping A.J. Dillon. You know, Dillon – I mean, he had a good game against Wake Forest, but, you know, he was kind of – it felt like he was almost invisible. He wasn't making huge plays. I, I get this sneaking suspicion against Wake uh, – yeah, against Purdue that they're going to probably try to be a little bit more respected – respect Anthony Brown a little bit more based off the game film they saw – and I think Dylan's going to have a big game, and I, I just don't see that defensive line being able to stop him. Yeah, this really does smell like one of Dylan's 250-yard uh, games coming up. So that's our our uh, podcast for this week, Eric. I was saying at the beginning, you know, I really wanted we, – we're starting to get a really good listenership. I think we had like 400 to 500 listeners last week, which, you know, just starting up, you know, we've only done a handful, so it's good to – I really, we really appreciate all of you that have been loyally listening to our podcast. I didn't want to miss this, even though I was, you know, I'm going between work and the hospital all week. Um, next week I'll be back at home, so I'll be back in the studio. I got a new mic that I'm really pumped to use. Um, you know, back to some plugs. We're going to talk about uh, going to our Facebook page at, you know, check out at BC Interruption on Twitter, uh, Instagram it's BC underscore Interruption. Uh, check out Eric's uh, Instagram blog, uh, Instagram account, excuse me, uh, for his uh, barbecue company, and that's at Hoffa BBQ. Uh, you can see me on Twitter at BC Hysteria and Eric at EJ at EJ Hostis. Uh, we do this every week. Um, I apologize, my brain is absolute mush this week. Um, and you know, understandable. Out, I'm going to have our final thoughts and predictions up tomorrow. Uh, with some great, I have a guest predictor for our, uh, a guest picker for our beer selection. Um, it's going to be a Purdue blogger that's going to pick some beers for us. Um, Eric and I have our weekly banter on BC Interruption. You can find that halfway down the page between all the hockey stuff. And um, that's it, Eric. Anything else? <laughs> I think you covered it all, buddy. Go get some rest or 
try to, anyways. I will. All right, guys. Well, thank you all. And again, um, go Eagles.